And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always by the Athletics' Tim Britton. How are you? How are you doing today? Uh, I'm a little disappointed, Ted, in that, you know, we talked uh, recently about the absurd Halloween decorations in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like there was kind of a bait and switch played on me because uh, uh, with the overwhelming number of Halloween decorations, I thought that I was going to get a lot of trick-or-treaters. Uh, and we did not get any trick-or-treaters at all. And now I have an excessive amount of candy in my house. Uh, which is not good for someone in their off season. Uh, and I, you know, I should have taken my, my dad's old philosophy was that you buy candy that you, you don't particularly like. Right, so right. You don't eat the leftovers. Load up on uh, runs. I did not take that attitude at all. It's all of the candy that I like. And now it's just sitting in a closet that I know it's there and I haven't forgotten it's there yet. And I need to get to that point. What would be for you the most prized Halloween candy? Uh, Milky Way. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. That is like the blandest choice I can imagine. I'm sorry. It's, a Milky Way? It's got kids chocolate and caramel. It's great. It's good. It's very good. Like it's, I think it's an underrated candy bar for one of the majors. But like for me, I, I just I guess I prefer novelty. So if you were out and like someone had little 100 grand bars or something like that, that is always really exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry alex c uh I, I don't you know like i understand i got a lot of milky ways um but like i i, did, I was afraid of the novelty bars i didn't like 100 grand i didn't like you know you get almond joy and mound afraid and... of them it's like you like the fentanyl thing or just like <laughs> oh i i don't know what's coming in 100 grand uh, caramel I, I, I didn't i you know i don't know if i'd ever had a 100 grand bar before uh, a certain point in halloween uh what was the other one that i hated um Oh, like Mary Jane's and Charleston shoes. We would get those kinds of things. Those you know, are those are the candy. Those are people doing your dad's floss. Yes, yes, exactly. Because yeah. no one's. You're never just going to be like, oh, I'll sit down and have a Mary Jane today. You know what I what I I really disliked was those Jolly Ranchers that are like long and flat and like a really bad shape for your mouth. Oh, yeah, God. but they're easy to fashion into a shiv in elementary school. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> 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 don't do that uh they're they're, they're actually ineffective because by that point they're so brittle uh we should talk about about baseball but i do want to know like from my brief experience in the suburbs in like 2009 2010 it seemed like um i think that the the door-to-door -door trick or treating um unless you were in like the zoned location for door-to-door -door trick or treating it just doesn't happen as much i think like now the way is that there's like some either officially or unofficially designated place where trick-or-treating happens and parents just take their kids to that spot and they walk up and down that block. 
Well, there, there is like the trunk or treating, which we saw at the local school like last weekend, uh, where they just park their cars and everyone walks around and doesn't get any exercise. Uh, but I think I felt like the most uh, disappointing part was that there were a lot of trick or treaters literally across the street from us. Oh no! <laughs> it's like I oh, gotta put out put out a basket, put out a basket. And, and I was like, yeah. you know, we turned, we had the lights on in our house, we had the garage door open. We were doing all the things to say, like, no, we are home. Like, you can come here. But it's Jersey, um, so do they have to, like, negotiate a jug handle to get to you? So they have to cross, the, the street is not the quietest street in the world. Uh, right. So they have to cross the street. Uh, and I guess, like, there is a larger neighborhood behind the houses across the street from us. So maybe they were just doing that loop. Uh, but we thought, like, at a certain point, like, oh, they're going to come back the other way. And, uh, and they never did. Uh, well, I'm I'm very sorry to hear that, but happy for you that you will eat your fill of Milky Way this offseason. We're starting to get some questions. Uh, Tyler B. in the chat, and this is sort of uh, something I wanted to ask you about as well. He wants to know, what are the chances the Mets grab one of their major free agents and then one of the open market free agents, such or, as uh, Correa or Turner? You've written about this quite a bit lately. Yeah, so I, I think, you know... Let's categorize. Are we categorizing the Mets' major free agents as Degrom, Diaz, and Nimmo? Is that the, yes. those the three? Do you, do you count Bassett as one of them? No, uh, Bassett, Walker are like the next step down. Right. Uh, so I, I think the chances that the Mets get one of their own is is relatively high. I think you know Diaz. I would be surprised if he did not resign with the Mets. I think mm. Nimmo is probably. Uh, 50-50 proposition. I think um, you know. I think there are going to be more teams interested in him. Uh, right. than, than we think offhand because of what I wrote about the other day, kind of just the scarcity of potential replacements. Um, uh, I mean, but that's that's true of Diaz. Like, there, like it sounds like Diaz wants to be back, and it sounds like the Mets want him back. But he is such a a rare commodity that some team could just blow him out of the water, right? Yeah, that that's possible. I, I think um, it's harder for uh, not every team is in the market for a closer. Uh, and like he he makes thirty teams better, but there's probably you know I'd have to think through who would be in the market. Like you know I was reading uh, our Grant Brisby wrote about like should the Giants try to sign Edwin Diaz, uh, even though like they in, you know they need bullpen help, they have a lot of money to spend, uh, but the, the end result's kind of like no probably not. Like it'd be cool to right. think about, but probably not. And I think there are a lot of teams in that mode with mm-hmm. Diaz that you know a lot of teams don't want to spend nine figures on a closer. Um, regardless of how good that closer is. Um, so I think he's got the best chance of those threats. I'd rank him Diaz, Nimmo, DeGrom in that regard in, in terms of likelihood of returning. Uh, mm-hmm. The chances that they, they you know, sign Diaz and then go after, if we say one of the major open market free agents, if we're talking about the four shortstops, uh, Aaron Judge and Contreras, are those the, the sticks? I, I, you know, I don't know if you're counting Rodon or, or pitchers in that. Right. I'd, I'd probably say... L- I, I wouldn't pick the Mets to, to sign any of those guys. I don't think it's super likely that they do. Um, okay. You know, I, I, mean, I don't know enough about... Th- Go, Go ahead. On. I think I was thinking, and, like, it's sorry, but, like, because I know we, we're going to just talk about this forever, uh, but, like, so if if they're really thinking about... So we're talking about Nimmo as, like, $20 million a year, right? Mm-hmm. 20, What's 20, an ex- yeah. 20, 20 to 25. What's an extra 20 to 25 on top of that? to bring in Aaron Judge. Like, why Why not? Why not? Why overthink this as a team that is going to need an outfielder and needs a big power bat? And, like, here's an outfielder who's the biggest power bat. And, yes, like, it's suboptimal to have 
Judge, Canna, and Marte as your three outfielders. However, whoever you want to make the center fielder there, I think is going to be a step down defensively for Nimmo. But that's certainly an outfield that can play in the major leagues. It's not like an embarrassing outfield. And all of a sudden, your offense is stacked. And now you've got, and like you talk about, like, because we're talking about sustainable winning, right? And, and that's not the way, right? And you're signing the big free agents is not the way. But the Mets aren't set up for that way right now anyway. So if you sign a guy like Judge, and you have Judge and Lindor, and hopefully you try to extend McNeil and Alonzo moving forward, then you have, like, okay, we have the unsustainable part covered, and we buy ourselves three to four years to work on, like, building up the farm system. I mean, I, I'm I'm all for that idea. <laughs> I think I think they should aggressively pursue Aaron Judge. I it's not like Steve. It's like, not like Steve Cohen's going to stop making a billion dollars a year, right? <laughs> right. Like uh, the Mets are yeah, not it, the it, Mets it, are it, not it, his income. It's not a stagnant amount of wealth that he has. Um, and uh, with with Judge, I think you know I I agree that the Mets should should go after him. Should go after him pretty hard, I think. Uh, because he fits so much of what they could use offensively. You can imagine, you know, the top part of their lineup, even if you lose Nimmo, as being like McNeil, Judge, Lindor, Alonzo, Marte. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's you, can, you can do it different ways. Um, and then who cares who your fourth starter is? <laughs> yeah, I, I, right? just don't, I just don't know uh, how, it, like, you know, I don't know what Judge's preferences are. I don't know that anyone knows right. it, which, uh, you know, I think... And the, it would be the, it would take it would take money, right? Because you have to figure if he's willing to put up with New York, he would prefer to go return to the Yankees, right? Like if the attention of New York is something that's going to bother some people, or I think that makes some people like maybe choose otherwise if the deal is the same. Uh, with Judge, it's even like more particular because it, then they're gonna it's gonna be like the Yankees are gonna want him back as well. Uh, we assume, and so so now you have to beat. Like you have to you have to beat the get out of New York and not deal with this thing if that's a factor for him. And then you also have to beat the Yankees and the appeal of returning to the only franchise. You yeah. And, and he's, you know, at, at least from afar, it does seem like he is a guy who uh, kind of appreciates what what you get by being a Yankee. He talks about their history a fair amount uh, and, and kind of the cachet that comes with being a, a New York Yankee. Yeah, um, but they all they all talk about that. Yeah, yeah, That's but, obviously like day one of media relations training with the Yankees. It's like Yankee Drew, 27. We got to like, we're going to, you know, like you just talk about Babe Ruth, talk about Derek You watch the Nick Swisher Yankeeography on day one as a, as a Yankee. Yeah, um, exactly. So, but I, I, I think it would take, they would have to pay a, a certain premium, like like you were alluding to to get him out of out of the Bronx uh, even, and even more so probably than like San Francisco would have to pay as that would be going right. home for him. Uh, I think that, you know, and, and if it's not judge, you know, I think Carlos Correa is the next guy who makes sense. You don't have to give up uh, a quality. You know, he's not going to get a qualifying mm-hmm. offer. He can't. Uh, I don't know what his, you know, what his relationship is like with Francisco Lindor, if he'd be willing to move off shortstop for him. I know that the two talked a bunch when Lindor was doing his extension uh, and uh, Correa would probably be trying to get a similar kind of deal. Uh, he's, he's young. He's, he's still in his twenties, uh, at least for the start of, of whatever long-term contract you would get him on. If you play him at third and Lindor at short, that, that looks really good. Uh, I just don't know, uh, really any of those shortstops, how willing they would be to move off of short. Uh, and you know, maybe I think Bogarts might be the guy in that position, uh, for the most part, but the, at that point, Boston might resign him. So, uh, I just, None of those guys, like I would say it's it's under a 50% likelihood that the Mets sign any of those major free agents that we're talking about here. And I think it's their their prior, their likeliest path this offseason is re-signing 
a few different guys that they that of, of their own free agents and then making some, some supplementary moves around the roster, which I know just excites the fan base tremendously. We have William S., an excited member of that fan base, we assume, uh, on in the queue to join the stage. William, what is going on? Do we still have William? Yeah, hey, guys, what's up? Hey, William. Uh, how- um, I, no, I'm with Tim. I think the Mets are just going to run it back more or less. Hopefully they can re-sign DeGrom. I think they're just in this weird stage where it's like it's the post-Wilpon, like all the mistakes with like the roster are like, going down through the minor leagues and – they just don't have many options to sub- substantially remake the team in any way that's going to be ultra exciting. But they did win 100 games. So I think you just bring back as many guys as you can, roll the dice in the playoffs again next year, and hope you get a better outcome. I mean, that just seems to be the trend with baseball teams anyway. That, Like I look at the Nationals. They made the playoffs like 10 years in a row. They were terrible in most every playoff series, but then they just randomly – won the World Series. And that seems to be the trend with many of these teams, even the super teams like the Astros and Dodgers. So as boring as it is, as much as I want Aaron Judge or Trey Turner or whoever, it just seems like the farm is so weak. Just re-sign your guys and hope, you know, you just have a randomly good playoff run next year as you slowly uh, improve the farm over time. I wonder what you guys think. Yeah, th- thanks for the question and thanks for agreeing with me at the start. Uh, the the one thing that I... I... Don't I mean, know. I will. I will say, I, I have been. I feel like he's also agreeing with my uh, long-standing. Yeah. The postseason is a crapshoot point. That that was what I was going to take issue with. Um, and look, there's there's evidence to support it. Uh, like the, not the Nationals won the World Series in a year where it was not their best regular season by far in that stretch. Same with Atlanta. Um, you know, we're looking at the, the Phillies in, yeah. in this spot right now. Um, that the playoffs, you know, are difficult to predict. They are. Uh, can be a roll of the dice. It still helps to have the best team possible. Uh, and I, you know, I understand running it back with 100 wins. Like I understand what you would want to do there. Uh, I do think there are some tinkering moves that the Mets can make to bring in more power to uh, upgrade the high end of their roster, uh, which is helpful this time of year. Uh, I think you see that in Philadelphia. Like, you know, what don't the Phillies have is depth. Uh, they, they don't really know who their third starter is. Uh, for the World Series, uh, you know, the bottom of their lineup is not great. Uh, they they kind of, you know, like the Brandon Marsh move is kind of their version of the Kelly Johnson Juan Uribe move. It's like we, we took a position that was a total black hole and now we have an average major leaguer there. And that's been really helpful. Uh, but, you know, they've got that top of that top part of the order with, with Schwarber, Hoskins, Rio Muto and Harper and, and Castellanos. That's a really good top five. Uh, they've got a really good top two in the, the rotation, and their their bullpen is getting by with, with two or three arms basically right now. So, uh, you know, the Mets, I think they can probably make a couple moves at the expense of depth with the idea of what they can do uh, at the top end of the roster. I don't think that's what they're going to do, uh, but I think that's an option. I think uh, to, to William's point also, like, you're, you're not fully running it back because I do think it's reasonable – and like you can't you can't go all in on it, but I do think it's reasonable given what Beatty and Alvarez have done already at the high level of the minors that at least one of those guys can be a average to even significantly above average major league contributor as soon as next season. Yeah, I mean I think you probably have more hopes on with with Alvarez in that regard. 
Uh, he's played a little mm-hmm. bit more in AAA. Like you, you have to remember, Beatty. The plan was not for him to debut in the major leagues in 2022. Uh, right. Six games in in AAA, I think it was, uh, before getting the call up. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise but, me. My my expectation. But guys, come quick, right? Him. Look at the Braves. Look at the Braves. Yeah, I, but you don't build. You know, the Braves did not go into the season thinking like, okay, Michael Harris II is going to be hitting third for us in a key spot. We can count on that. Uh, that's kind of found month, found change. Um, that's that's and, and it's not found change. It's finding a fifty dollar bill in your winter jacket. Um, I think, you know, the best way for the Mets to enter next season is to say anything we get out of those guys is great. We won't block them long term. You don't sign Wilson Contreras if you think Francisco Alvarez can be an everyday catcher by 2024. Uh, but, um, you know, we don't go into next year saying, you know what, our power is going to come from Alvarez and Beatty. That's what we need. You know, Alvarez right, is going right. to fit behind Pete Alonso. I, I don't think you enter the season with that in mind. That's fair. Uh, and I, I'd also point out, as just something I thought about in the playoffs with uh, with Nito, who really, I thought, flourished defensively this year. He did see a bunch of, of, of postseason teams this year with with total offensive holes, a catcher. Uh, the Astros among them, the the Indians as well, like, uh, sorry, the Guardians as well. Um, so it does seem like teams are willing to make some concessions there. Uh, given how important the position is and how important the defensive aspect of the of that position is, I think it's probably uh, even like it's increasingly valued. Maybe defensive, uh, you know, your your ability and your your pitch calling and your your framing, everything else behind the plate. Well, in the short term, because I think the the expectation is that you know sometime in Francisco Alvarez's career and probably before he hits free agency, there will be an automatic ball and strike system. That's uh, true, and, and that will not matter as much. Um, and, you know, I, I think the reason you see, at, at least in like Cleveland's case, the reason uh, that they uh, put so much emphasis on the defensive side as a catcher is that it's cheaper that way. <laughs> like right. you, have to, you have to pay a lot for uh, a bat first catcher in a way you don't for a glove first catcher. There are plenty of glove first catchers that you can sign uh, to one year, two million dollar contracts like Austin Hedges. Right. Uh, let's hear from Michael L. Michael, what's going on? Hey, I had a question regarding DeGrom's free agency. It's kind of a theory I've had like over the past you know, month or two as the rumors have come out that he wants to go to Florida, he wants to go to Texas. Do you think there's any maybe – I think his last contract, everyone can kind of agree, was a bit of an underpay and then he wildly exceeded it. Do you think there's kind of a sentiment where I'm not going to make this so easy on them? I know Steve Cohen has a lot of money. I'm going to float some of these rumors out there, whether it's him or coming from his agent. Um, just where, like, you know, he, he's not going to just come accept another team-friendly deal. Because it's just kind of weird to me that this didn't come out in 2017, 2018, when the Mets sucked and had, you know, terrible owners. And now when, like, the Mets are winning 100 games and have somebody who's has a real vision for the team, now it's like he, he you know, wants to go home and doesn't want to live in New York anymore. That's a good good question. And, Ted, you, you might know this better than I do. Uh, you know, I wasn't covering the Mets in 2017. I feel like there were rumors that – uh, he like would welcome a trade to Houston at that point. I don't remember if that was the case. I, like I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I, again, like you know, we've talked about it a lot. Like Degrom has always been pretty private guy, so I think it's easy to speculate that about anything he might want. Like you can say, oh, this guy wants to be a Mets for life. You could point to these seven different times he said that, or you can say like, ah, uh, he's like sort of a home buddy who doesn't want this attention and he just wants to go play in Atlanta or Texas or wherever. Yeah, and I, like I, I think you know, regarding the question, I, I don't know that his idea is like I want to make this hard on the Mets because of what happened with the last deal. I mean, the last deal, it's 
it's such a strange one because it was, you know, he's negotiating against the guy who had just been his representative in Brody Van Wagenen. Um, it's just, it was just a strange dynamic overall. So it's, it, you know, at the time he signed it, it seemed uh, like relatively fair value. Uh, you know, he's he certainly the way he, you know, he he was coming off the one transcendent season in 2018. He hadn't backed it up in 19 and 20 the way that he, he later did uh, that made him feel you know, underpaid compared to the market uh, that has been reset by guys like Strasburg, Cole, Bauer, Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you understand, like, him coming into this season uh, and, you know, the, the final two years of that deal, uh, it's it's not particularly, like, that's the least player-friendly aspect of it is the last two because it's, if he doesn't opt out, it's one year at, I think, 30.5 million or 32.5 million and the last the last year is a club option. So like if DeGrom gets hurt next year and is, is you know, out for the rest of his career uh, or, or is going to miss a season, like the Mets won't pick that up and he'll lose that that 30 million. So it's not like it's right. a straight two year, 60 something million dollar deal. Uh, and so you understand him com- coming into this season and saying, like, this is my last chance to get really to, to really get paid. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I've been I was underpaid every year before the extension. I signed the extension. I understand the, you know, the, the security that comes with that, but I still was underpaid during most of that time. Uh, and I know, you know, fans will complain about 2021 and 2022 when he missed time uh, of him being overpaid, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't come anywhere close to making up for how, how much he was underpaid the years before that. Do so you understand? Like he wants to get paid. He wants to be on the open market and kind of see what that's like. You know, it's weird to be this old and not have hit free agency yet. Uh, a player of his caliber. Uh, And so I think he's interested in that process and seeing where other teams are at. Right. And you don't know. Yeah. I mean, who knows how those teams roll out the various red carpets for him. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Thomas R. has been waiting on the line. Thomas is no longer waiting on the line. Oh, there he is. Thomas is in the is on the stage. What's up, Thomas? Hey. Hey, how are you? Hey, Thomas. Um, so, hey, uh, so question about uh, trade market. Obviously, you got another team has to agree, blah, blah, blah. But Shohei just feels kind of like a obvious need. Fills a a pitcher, especially if the ground goes, uh, and also fills a DH that is a glaring hole 
um, and is a wee bit better than Juan Arribe and Kelly Johnson, as you mentioned. Um, but add to that, taking on the potentially ridiculous and possibly Robinson Cano-like contract of Anthony Rendon would probably be remarkably appealing to uh, Anaheim, as well as, I mean, Anthony Rendon was phenomenal. I mean, it's like, is he, is he dead? Like, I mean, he, he can probably still play baseball and find it. And that's at their basement right there. So you could actually solve three three holes with two players. Yeah, so I, I think the the issue with an Otani, you know, it would cost a lot to get Otani. Um, even if you're, ta- if you're taking on Rendon, it costs a lot. It just costs more. It, it's just it's more of a financial obligation than a, a prospect one. You'd still be giving up some talent in that kind of deal. Uh, you don't really know where the Angels are at. Um, it's, you know, uh, they're in the process of, of exploring a sale with Artie Moreno. Uh, I'm not sure if they're, you know, they haven't reached, uh, I don't think they've reached the point that the Nationals were at in the summer where they knew they weren't going to, you know, they had offered what they thought was the the biggest deal they could offer to Juan Soto. uh, And with a new ownership coming in, they did not want, uh, you know, they they figured a new owner would not want Soto on the roster and they would want to, maybe the current ownership would make the trade so the new ownership didn't have to do that. Uh, I don't think... The Angels are there, at least not yet. Uh, they're not as far along in the sale process, I don't think, as Washington was at that time, even though it's not like Washington has been sold yet. Uh, and you have less time with Otani, so uh, there's just uh, I, I just don't know that the ownership situation is such a huge question mark to me because that will def- you know that that's the reason Washington traded Soto this year was because of the the imminent change in ownership. Uh, I don't know that the timing works in such a fashion that that. The Angels are going to trade Otani this offseason or at the trade deadline or at all. Uh, and so I think it's it's harder to project. Like, I don't think he's going to get traded. Uh, I didn't think Soto was going to get traded for a long stretch of that time either. Uh, so so take it with a grain of salt. But I, I think it's harder to project exactly what, what that kind of trade would look like because we don't know whether, you know, getting rid of Rendon's contract would be top of the, top of the list for potential owner there. I also think, you know, if if they do decide they want to trade Otani, it's not just the Mets he fills two big needs for. Every team needs great starting pitching and and a big time power, but like he's he's a phenomenon, right? And and I think he's also sort of like an international marketing phenomenon too, so he right. adds like a lot a lot of value in that regard. So I feel like there would be as much as I would love the Mets to to make that move, I feel like there would be so many other teams for whom it would be much easier to stomach that that cost in prospects because if it's for the Mets, it means clearing out the system. And uh, you know, we we've heard kind of that Otani's been blunt about how the the Angels have not been uh, not played particularly well around him the last couple of years. Uh, but you know, you can imagine a new owner who sees the marketing possibilities there, saying like, "Hey, I'm going to be different. You should resign with us," uh, and maybe making a different kind of pitch to him than than has been made by Moreno of late. Right. Uh, let's hear from Alex C., who is waiting uh, in the queue. Alex, what is going on? Thank you for having me on. What's going on, Alex? So, my, uh, thank you. Uh, so, I was thinking about kind of the Dodgers model from when they were first bought and how they took on all these big contracts. And I was wondering if, once again, like, same with them, if the Red Sox could be a target in terms of adding for depth and just taking on ridiculous short-term short-term money so how does like the idea of like chris sale and nathan avaldi for like 
I don't know, including like a swap of like Canna and Escobar. And I wonder if even um, like Carrasco even and including like, um, I don't know, just like some something of that magnitude, like how that would sound for the Mets because and then signing like a Trey Turner or something and he could maybe play center field or infield or back to the Red Sox part. I'm going back and forth, but this is the name I was thinking for of again, um, Enrique Hernandez to also play center field if they don't retain Nimmo. I think it kind of makes some sense. It, it, it is crazy and far-fetched, but this is like a really weird team where they won 101 games, yet it still feels very far and incomplete, and there's so many holes. So I wonder if something like that makes sense. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Alex. I, I think the issue with that is, and having covered the 2012 Red Sox, uh, like Boston's current financial situation is not anywhere near as dire as it was in 2012. Like in 2012, you had, uh, you know, they they had signed Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford ahead of the 2011 season. Uh, there were serious doubts very quickly uh, that that Crawford was going to live up to any part of the contract. Gonzalez had had performed very well, but there just didn't feel like a fit in Boston. Like the, you know, from a, a team leadership perspective, from a market perspective. And then Josh, I forget what Josh Beckett's exact contract situation was, but it was, you know, it was, it was a four-year, $68 million deal that had like two and a half seasons left on it. Uh, so th- th- there's just a lot of money for a team that was... A famously nice guy, though. <laughs> right. I mean, and like, and it was not just the, the on-field performance part of it. Like, there were huge clubhouse issues in 2011 and 2012. Uh, there was a player mutiny against the manager uh, in 2012 that Gonzalez was a part of. Uh, so there's just so much going on that, like, you know, that was a case where, like, that franchise needed and that organization needed to reset. And here was a lifeline that L.A. threw them this year. Like, you know, Alex mentioned Sale, who who could make some sense, but he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have five plus years left on that deal the way that, that Crawford and Gonzalez did. Um, and so, uh, you know, Yavaldi is a free agent himself, so you're not going to trade for him. So it's really, you know, it's really just Sale. Uh, and the, the obligation is not quite so onerous there. I think it's only got a year. Is it one year left? It might be two, but it's it's not longer than two. Uh, on the, the the extension he signed the same year as Degrom, uh, so I think yeah, I think it's only one year left. So it's there's not there's not the opportunity to really take so much money off of a team's hands without giving much back. So uh, I don't think well, that certainly not with the Red Sox. I'd have to think you know if Anaheim might be the other team <laughs> with Rendon. Uh, or Washington with Corbin and Strasburg, but you know I, I don't think uh, I don't think a deal like that is going to happen. Also, I mean, Sale has made 11 total starts since 2019, so it's not like a move you make for certainty in the rotation. And from the Red Sox perspective, like why trade him after a season in uh, you know like when he he made two starts when like you can hope if he's healthy he pitches well for half a season and you get a haul for him at the trade deadline. Yeah, and, and it, it, you know they're not. Uh, up against it and up against the luxury tax right now uh, the way they were last season when it, it seemed like you know if they had made a couple more moves at the trade deadline they could have snuck underneath it and they decided again they decided not to do that so I, I just don't think their financial situation is quite as uh, quite as poor as it was in 2012. Uh, we had some a question in the chat that I'm going back to um, one person wanted to know what James McCann's trade value is I mean it you you can tell me you know better than I do, but I would have to say like more like I, and this is, sounds mean, but like it's non-existent, right? Like you're trying to that's a contract you'd love to get rid. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's got two years and, and $24 million left on his contract because it, it was a bit backloaded. Uh, I think, you know, your best case scenario is probably a team taking on uh, eight or 10 million of it. Uh, so you're probably paying down at least two thirds. Um, and, you know, that that's saying to a team like, hey, you want to you want to maybe a team that's got a younger catcher coming up. Uh, we've got a veteran who knows how to handle a staff. Uh, who knows what he's doing defensively and who has some offensive upside if, he, if he's able to recapture the form from 2019 and 2020. But at this point, you, you are, you're not banking on that. Uh, and you get almost, you know, you get maybe a, a flyer of a high A prospect in return. I think that would be the kind of trade you'd work with McCann. And like, let's, if, if your idea is that Francisco Alvarez is going to not, you know, going to DH a fair amount of the time uh, in 2023, uh, you might want to carry a third catcher, in which case, you know, it, it might make sense for you to carry Nito, Alvarez, and McCann uh, rather than deal him for, you know, whatever you could get in return. You're paying him anyway. One way, right? Like, they're going to pay a big portion of that salary one way or the other. Something we didn't talk about, something Eli S. asked about in the chat. He wants to know, with the news surrounding the hiring of a president of baseball operations, how does one differentiate a P.O.B.O. and the, I like that, the POBO, and a GM. Uh, what what is Epler's day to day now, and how would that change if the president of baseball operations hired above him? Seems like just semantics. Uh, what he didn't mention is that is that David Stern's a guy that the Mets sort of seemed like fairly transparently had their eye on for that role, who is still under contract with the Milwaukee Brewers, but he has stepped out of that role in Milwaukee. Now it doesn't sound like he's leaving, but it does seem like a step toward flush. Yeah, it's it's. You know, it, it it's clear now, obviously, that that Stearns that at the very least 2023 will be his last year with Milwaukee and he will be free to go wherever he wants at the end of next season. Uh, he could make a move before then. You know, uh, we're, we're fortunate here at The Athletic to have Will Salmon, uh, who covered the Brewers and David Stearns uh, just before coming to cover the Mets in July. And so his reading of that situation was, was and the people that he talked to uh, was that Stearns was most likely sincere in saying he wanted to kind of take a step back this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and serve in that advisor role for Matt Arnold, who's taken over, uh, and then maybe, you know, hit the ground next year a little bit more uh, revitalized because it is a, an all-or-nothing job, obviously. In terms and of that the... kind of, that's kind of like the nice guy way out. Like, if everybody's being professional and adult about it and they know he's going to take this job and that it's waiting there for him, then it's like, well, why don't we put the new team in place and I'll be around to sort of guide them. Right, and, and to to suggest, you know, uh, various, you know, I think Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff to the Mets for this prospect that uh, might might be good, you know. Just right, right. Advise in that direction. Um, we really need James McCann, guys. <laughs> um, in terms of like the the breakdown between a a, a Pobo uh, and a GM, um, so it's the president of baseball. You know, any organization that has a president of baseball operations, they are serving the role that the general manager did for years and years, and that we all grew up with, knowing <laughs> what the general manager's role is. And the guy who's the GM is basically serving an assistant GM role. It's it's mm-hmm. it, it really is title inflation, uh, and it was a way of like preventing other teams from hiring your people away. And it just kind of got where like now everyone has caught up. Uh, and so uh, if uh, you know, the Mets were to hire Stearns or someone else as their president of baseball operations. That person would dictate kind of the the broader organizational philosophy and, and the bigger moves that they want to make. You know, that would be the person deciding what we're, what we're offering Max Scherzer in conjunction with Steve Cohen. Um, and then Billy Epler would be uh, his top assistant, basically. The person who executes those kinds of things, who stays in contact with with 
everyone in the sport uh, and, you know, would be a, a high level, like better than the normal assistant uh, because of his experience in the, the GM role. But but that would essentially be what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a weird it will be. And we know that Eckler and Stearns have some sort of relationship, but it it does feel like it's a it's an awkward it's, it will be an awkward hire. You know, that'll be a, that'll be a strange week at the very least. Yeah, and and look, it, it's it's possible that if if this were to happen down the line, that that Epler would no longer be, you know, would not be okay with that arrangement. Like, uh, right. you know, when I covered the Red Sox, they hired Dave Dombrowski as the president of baseball operations and offered Ben Sherrington the chance to stay, uh, and he did not, uh, because uh, it was basically a repudiation of the job that Sherrington had done. Um, right. In Toronto, when they hired uh, Mark Shapiro as team president, not president of baseball ops, but team president. Uh, and he came in with a baseball ops background. Alex Anthopoulos eventually left because uh, it felt kind of like a demotion to him. So, uh, you know, especially if, if Epler goes out and, and builds a team that wins 100 games again next year and then they hire David Stearns, you you know, it it wouldn't be the most stunning thing in the world if he was like, what the heck? You know, like, yeah. on, <laughs> I think I've done a good job here. Why are you demoting me? Uh, even if the name on the, the door is the same. Could they inflate two positions and just make Epler the president of baseball operations and uh the and Stearns the super president of baseball operations uh I mean like they could make Stearns the team president which is the Alderson's role um which you know I think everything we've heard is that they they want to hire more of a business guy for that role it is more of a business role in general um and have Epler as the president of baseball. Yeah, but I don't care what it's they like, do. I don't care what they do. I'm just talking about like how do we get all the brightest minds in the room? And if if you have to make him the team president and say, like, but it's not a business role for you, we're hiring another guy for the business role. Maybe that. Yeah, but I mean the the, the dynamic between Stearns and Epler would still be the same. You would imagine, right. and oh, if yeah. Epler had a problem with it in the other arrangement, he would in this one. Except now he's the president. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you, you again, you can pay people enough to where it's less of a problem, you know, right. uh, you know, you can you can say, OK, Billy, we want you to be the, the GM with the president above you, but we'll pay you what you would make as a president elsewhere. That kind of thing. Uh, it's it's it is one method. I am I am all for the Mets throwing money at every single problem right now, because like we can we can live in the moment and enjoy having the richest owner in sports. Right. Yeah, it's it's. It's uh, it, it's been so long since we could say yeah, things. It's, it's time. It's time. Let's make some. Let's like pull out a 1990. Let's let's go get the worst team money could buy. Uh, <laughs> um, it it always goes well when they when they throw as much money as possible at the baseball team. Tim, uh, this is a good spot to wrap up, but we are going to go dark for a little bit. I know you are uh heading for a a well deserved parental break. Um, and uh, I think we will probably be quiet until there's some big Mets news. Yeah, we're, we're not sure what the podcast recording schedule would will be like. Uh, I am going on uh, the second part of my family leave. Uh, it took a couple weeks uh, back in, in late April and early May when, when my son was born. Uh, and then once we got to the the end of the World Series, which I thought the Mets might be playing in. Uh, it's going to take another break for uh, a couple of months uh, of the offseason, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'm not sure what the plan for the podcast is specifically for the next couple of months. We always do take a step back about this time anyway, uh, mm-hmm. and, and we're kind of as needed. Uh, so we'll see what what the what that holds. But uh, I'm looking forward to the break, and and I will obviously uh, be paying attention <laughs> to what's going on with the Mets as always. 
uh, and and very grateful and thankful for all the, the questions and the engagement on here on a regular basis. Well, enjoy the break. And until then, uh, peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.